Namaskar friends and welcome to Atha Yoga Anushasana. This podcast is devoted to bringing the ancient teachings of yoga to the wild and weird world of the modern 21st century. It may seem as though we are flying blind, but luckily we have a road map in the form of the Vedas, Upanishads, sutras and tantras that can help us navigate amidst the changing tides of life. We'll be addressing a range of topics related to yoga, from philosophy to practice to lifestyle and Ayurveda, and of course, to current situations and how we can approach them with yogic thought, speech, and action. For more information and questions, visit www.kushyoga.com. That's K-H-U-S-H-Y-O-G-A. I'm your host, Kushi Malhotra. So come on, let's take a look and see what's going on. Namaste, 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 friends. How are you? Are you well? Hope so. If you're not well, maybe after listening to this podcast, you gain a little bit more energy and enthusiasm to keep walking the path of yoga. I'm Kushi Malhotra, and I'm so excited to share with you the first episode of Atha Yoga Nishasana. Now, this podcast was born because, well, I needed to re-infuse my teaching once again with a new fire and purpose and come back to the original source for why I teach, and that is to spread the wisdom and message of the sages of the Himalayas, the sages and saints and yogis of all traditions. That's my heart, and that's really what I want to share with you. They have a message that is timeless. So that means from the very beginning until the very turbulent times that we live in now, there are ways that we can apply the teachings of yoga that make sense to us. And that can help us to reinvigorate our own meaning and purpose in life. It's not a new age concept. It's actually an old age concept, been around for quite a while. So let's just take a while and time to dissect and look into what really is yoga, you know, when it is in its most saturated, pure, pristine form. Of course, what we see in the West and more modern day era of yoga is a very uh, watered down or whitewashed version of yoga and well people say that's the evolution of yoga perhaps but doesn't mean that we cannot be stewards and caretakers of making sure that it is really reaching to its maximum potential so that's my little soapbox (laughs) and today really wanted to just start with the topic at hand the topic of the podcast itself, Atha Yoga Anushasanam. Now, Atha, Atha, according to Patanjali. So if you guys don't know who Patanjali is, then maybe you should uh, get a little bit familiar, right? And here I am to familiarize you. Patanjali is one of the sages of the yoga tradition who isn't responsible for birthing yoga or creating yoga, but just for 
putting it together in a nice little, how do you say, cliff notes? <laughs> the cliff notes of yoga uh, regarding how to practice, why we practice, and how to really start from the first step to the final goal. Final goal is kaivalya or liberation. And the first step, well, we have the many first steps, but one of the first steps, a uh, basic ethical or moral foundation for life. Now, this Atta Yoga Nushasanam, right? The first very sutra of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And by the way, do you know the story of Patanjali? It's quite fascinating. So, Pata Anjali. Pata means a leaf that falls from the sky, right? And Anjali is this prayer, this devotion. So it's the falling wisdom, right? It's falling from the from the heavens, the, the wisdom of yoga to be shared with the utmost devotion, care, and compassion for all of humanity. And Patanjali is the incarnation of this being and said the that he is half Naga, half snake, and half human. Patanjali also, in some schools of thought, uh, his name was Tapanjali. Tapa, tapas, as you may or may not know, is the fire heat that we get from doing our austerities. So the fiery heat of austerity passed down <laughs> through sage after sage, you know, how these, these masters, these yogis come again and again to deliver the message of yoga in new and profound ways. So no one message, of course. They're, the teachings of yoga are vast and profound and can be applicable according to our specific mind, time, and space. So this is why they still breathe on, still live on, and we are still practicing, practicing, practicing yoga. How lucky are we, right? So, Atta. Again, Atta it means now. So every time we start again, it's an Atta moment. It's a moment of now. Now begins the practice. Now begins the practice. Now begins the practice, the discipline, anushasanam, of yoga, right? So the indication of atta, the very first word of the yoga sutras, is really a testament that the practice begins every second again and again and again and that we have to recommit ourselves to yoga each and every time it's not that okay yeah i stepped into my first yoga class and that's when i became a practitioner no you become a practitioner in each and every breath you start with this zen mind beginner's mind each and every time each and every time. So Patanjali didn't, uh, you know, just choose words lightly. He really was very specific. So sutras, sutras are threads that weave topics together and weave uh, words together in a complete way. So if you've studied Sanskrit, you know Sanskrit that nothing is left by chance, right? There are no extraneous words, that everything is very precise. So the Atta is a call to action, right? 
Come on, all practitioners, it's a call to action for you to wake up. It's time to wake up, to move towards the practice of yoga. Whatever you've done in your life before this, before this atta, before this very moment, before this now, whatever was done in the past is now gone. That person that you is, does not exist anymore. The you that does exist now is the yoga anushasanam, the one who is starting this discipline of yoga. So welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to your practice of yoga here and now. Let's begin. These are the words of Patanjali. This is his invocation, his um, prayer for you, and also his encouragement, right? The first few words, very encouraging, right? It's like the, you know, <laughs> when you're on the battlefield and the the general and the call for war and everyone goes, yeah, this is what it is. This is that yeah moment, ready to go, ready to be enthusiastic and motivated until we're not and we lose our energy and motivation and then the atta strikes again. And that atta, my friends, will strike again and again and again and again. So this is the beauty in how we create immense shraddha or faith on the path because the atta is always there <laughs> always there to lift us up and help us take that step that very first step once again right given from all of our previous experiences and stepping once again on the path of yoga no matter how much We've gone here, we've gone there, we've lost the way, we've fell down a ditch. Doesn't matter. At some point, we will remember, right? And that remembering is the beautiful first breath of our yoga practice again and again and again. Another version of Atha An Yoga Anushasana that I read and or that I heard and that I really like actually is the sense of timelessness. So very interesting, right? So if you take Atta Yoga Nishasanam and you see it as a present moment call to action, in the present moment, there is also no time in that there is no future and past, which create a sense of linearity of time. Now, in Atta Yoga Nishasanam, a sense of timelessness in the essence of the teachings. The atta, the atta, the now, is representative of the great teachers, the gurus, who have come again and again to inspire humanity, to come out of their moha, maya, avidya, all of their ignorance and delusion and illusion, and to wake up. So this Atta is the linking from the teachers, the teacher's message. Now, now, the teacher's message is ready for you. You are a ready vessel for the message of the teachers. And yoga, so Atta, yog, yog, the verb to unite, to the link, to bridge, right? The yog is happening between the teacher, yog, anushasanam. Anushasanam, the discipline. And who is the one who does the discipline? Well, that is you, my friend. So here we are. are. The yoga is the linking mechanism between the guru and the shishya. 
the teacher and the student, the teachings and the practice, right? And the way of practicing. So all of this speaks to the beauty of the way in which we are beginning to understand this very hmm, seemingly simple sutra. One of my teachers always said that it's important that maybe we don't read too many commentaries on the sutras. We just learn what each and every word means and we contemplate and meditate on Atha Yog Anushasanam. Now, the discipline of yoga. So take a few moments. Atha Yog Anushasanam. Now, the discipline of yoga. Are you ready? I feel you're ready. Ready to go once again. Ready to recommit once again. And like I said, this podcast was my recommitment, was my understanding of my own buddhi or wisdom telling me that it's time to share proper information. It's time to share with others instead of getting lost in this cacophony of social media, right? There's endless amount of teachers and teachings, but most of what we find is that it is enhancing of one's own ego, right? To use yoga as another means of getting caught in the mire of delusion and illusion. Not to say that I am above that, definitely not. But the yoga has taught me when I'm stepping towards it and when I need to stop. And that is the that discernment that Vivek or Viveka is very important part of yoga is to learn the discernment. That discernment gives you the discipline to say, hey, what am I doing here? And is it really aligned? with the path of yoga, the Ashtanga path, right? The eight-limb path that Patanjali gives for us in the Yoga Sutras. And that gives us a, a roadmap for understanding how to navigate life internally and externally. Along with Patanjali, along with this Atha Yoga Anushasanam, there is a an endless sea of beautiful stories, texts, and wisdom traditions that will really inspire the seeker. And the difference between the seeker now and the seeker then is this immense, 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 uh, you know, availability of information. But the, you can say, hmm, the the byproduct of that that mm, is not always so good right is that the quality has gone down quite a bit and that also means the quality of yoga teachers so before you know yoga teachers all yoga teachers and even now in india yoga teachers are called yoga gurus right so to give the name of guru, one who dispels darkness of one's own ignorance, of one's delusion and illusion of mind. 
I mean, that is a very respectful, honorific title. And I feel in my heart that, you know, in the time that these sutras were written, in the time of the Buddha, in the time before and after surrounding the, you can say, the renaissance of yoga during the tantras, etc., there were immense, immense, immense figures, huge quality level gurus that really could guide the aspirant towards moksha, towards liberation. And here's the thing, in modern life, our aim is not kaivalya or moksha when it comes to yoga. I mean, that seems so far above, beyond uh, the understanding and capability of most of us. And most of us don't even really give a damn about these things either. But I can say that, you know, we need to start realigning our intentions for practicing yoga to the highest intention that we can possibly muster within ourselves. So, of course, um, we come into yoga because of dukkha, right? This dukkha chakra. The dukkha chakra is the wheel of suffering, right? There is a physical ailment. There is a mental pain. There is a loss of a loved one. There is something generally that is causing us a lot of suffering. And we've gone and tried many different things. And yoga tends to be another thing that we try and that can bring us closer to ourselves. And that, mm, you know, re-establishment of maitri, of friendship within ourselves, is what gives us so much enthusiasm to continue on this path. We might not be able to articulate what's going on. And this is why the study of the theory of the shastras, of the sutras, all of these things are so important because it gives words sometimes to our experiences. And then those words can point to the next step along the road, right? If we're just experiencing a bunch of things and we have no context within which to put it, right, then the meaning of our journey, right, it's like we lose our memory. Something happens and it was very profound. And then, you know, we just go back to our day-to-day -day life that is very distracting and brings us out of this very reverent and deeply, you know, full of gratitude feeling in our hearts. And just trying to stay within that Atta Yoga Anushasanam at all times, right? So many uh, people say, oh, off the mat, on the mat should be the same. But, right, that's a lot of lip service. We need to really begin to study. Svadhyaya is the call of the hour, maybe of the century, right? Every time of human history has a specific focus, one can say, of what part, what limb of yoga, what aspect of yoga really is necessary. And right now, Svadhyaya is needed more than ever. And not only needed more than ever, but nature is giving us so much time, so much space with whatever is happening with COVID-19, with whatever is happening in the world today, there is a mm, 
pause button. No more going here, no more going there, no more distracting through our senses. So nature says, here you go, humanity. A forced pratyahara, a forced withdrawing of your senses so that you can do this svadhyaya practice, so that you can study and contemplate yourself, study and contemplate these ancient teachings that can relate to giving your life a new breath and purpose and for recommitting yourself to that atha in this moment, right? So just a call to action, and this is what it is. This is what this podcast also is, is a call to action for all people wanting to go deeper and deeper into the study of yoga. It's no longer enough for you to do asana, okay? It's no longer enough for you just to practice vinyasa, just to practice and preach and not really integrate the teachings into your heart and to have a a being that's based in the heart. And that can only happen when we really strongly examine our own ethical and moral values and whether they align themselves in the three spheres of life. That's thought, speech, and action. If there's a seamless flow of energy between our thought, speech, and action in all of our ethical frameworks and all of the things that we find value in this world, some of them universal, some of them personal, then we can say that we are fit, right? If we are not practicing these things in a way in which we can really contemplate and see whether or not the our ethics are matching up with our behavior, then how can we actually be fit to practice asana, which is purifying our organs, body, mind, (laughs) circulation system, right? Because all of these are uh, subject to, at the mercy of, the negative effects of us not following through, not being of in a truthful nature and not living in integrity. So it's very important that we move towards a direction of examining the very first steps, the yama and niyama of the yoga, the uh, Aryashtanga Marg, the Eightfold Path, right? This noble path that we all uh, have signed on to, right? As, hey, you know, we are yoga practitioners, so we are doing this. There's no way that you practice yoga and you do not practice the eightfold path, the eight limbs of yoga. So if you say you're practicing yoga and you don't practice yama and niyama, then mm, I would have to contest and say maybe you just practice asana. But I even can't even say that because asana is uh, an inclusive portion of your ethical framework and the higher limbs. So each limb is almost an all-inclusive of all the other limbs themselves. And if you want to learn more about the eight limbs of yoga, definitely study the yoga sutras and maybe we talk about them in another episode. But if you're not familiar, take a pause, look through them, and then you can follow along with a little bit more ease, perhaps. 
So it's very necessary, like I was saying, this ethical framework and then moving on towards how we treat our body and mind, right? If you see, our values dictate the way in which we practice. And the way in which we practice dictates the way in which our breath lives in our body. And this moving towards the pranayama, moving towards more concentration, right? And not just jumping to heart-based practices, not just jumping around like little monkeys, right? Without any base of secure foundation. It's very important that we firmly plant our feet, no matter how long it takes. And here's the thing, right? Modern human being says, "Mm, I want everything here and now as fast as possible. And that includes the yoga practice. Whereas in yoga mythology, there are stories of rishis, those are seers, sages, who practice for thousands of years, lifetimes after lifetimes, to reach maybe the final goal. So the concept of time is shrunk down to maybe one class, right? We want this instant liberation within one class. And this is translating to how impatient we are with every aspect of our own selves, our own self-critical nature, how much negativity we have in our minds and how much our minds are enemies, right? There is a a battlefield, a kurukshetra within ourselves always going on, right, between these forces and how we cannot even be patient with our own process, our own weaknesses that are learning points, right? Those weaknesses are there to have us practice svadhyaya more and more and more, this self-study, this introspection Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Where is this derived from? Where did I learn this habit? How can I undo this harm that I'm causing myself and others? Right? And therefore, bringing that sense of continuity of patience then to the sphere of our relationships and outer world. So many people say, oh, you know, these yogis, like, we're not going to go meditate in some cave in the Himalaya. And by the way, I'm speaking to you from the Himalayas. (laughs) Not in a cave, but, you know, it's kind of my cave for sure. Um, But I think that it's important to not denounce what yogis of yesteryear have done right? The immense dedication to purification of the mind and body, to, to feel as though mm, that's, not, that's not us, that's not our capacity right now. I think it is. I think it's possible. I think it's very necessary, again, to hold the bar higher for ourselves in how we practice, right? And because what we find, and what I find especially as a teacher, as a trainer, as a mentor, is that so many people are really still practicing very surface, surface level of the yoga practice. Because, you know, honestly, they're stuck on the rewind of asana all the time. 
and not committing themselves to deeper meditative practices. And this is the only way. I mean, uh, God, how many times do you hear in teachers' trainings, you hear in classes, teachers telling you, asana is a preparation for meditation, and then not teaching any meditation, nor meditating themselves. Mm, yeah, it's a criticism. It's definitely a criticism on my behalf for all teachers, for all practitioners. We are not doing enough. We are not doing enough, and it's time to do more. It's time to devote and dedicate ourselves to really becoming a yogi. If you want to become a yogi, then you have to humble yourself to really understand that I'm not a yogi, nor do I have the right to call myself that. We can be abhyasis or practitioners, right? We are trying. We are in the stream. We are flowing in the, in the river of life and towards the merging into the ocean of yoga, right? That is where we are. That is our intention along the way. There are many storms. There are many <laughs> blockages, dams, right? There is much stagnation. Uh, there are whirlpools that suck us under, but eventually we make our way there. And that's what nature teaches us, that eventually we will all evolve towards the final goal, eventually. No matter how long, how many eons it may take. But the beauty of the gift of yoga from nature is that this will take a bit shorter, a bit quicker. We can, we can move along and have a little lifeboat and avoid certain disasters that we can see coming right? Otherwise, it's like having a blindfold and going down the river not knowing what's going on. Here with the lifeboat of yoga, we have some skills, right? And it's all about skill building. It's all about preparing ourselves for life and for death, both. So if you hear the word death and your sensations in your body go crazy, and maybe it's time to really hear the word death again and again and again, and be comfortable with the fact that this body is decaying, it is dying. You are dying. We are dying. We are all moving towards death. Now, how you live, how you express your life in the caliber and in the quality and in the actions that you take will dictate the final moments when you also pass away. A life full of fear, anxiety, a life full of confusion of what yoga is, a life full of doubt, a life full of anger, how can we expect that at the final moment that it will be peace and quiet when our habits, our samskaras, are so pronounced, so deeply ingrained with, you know, the opposite? So it's very important that our svadhyaya is also rooted in the svadhyaya of death itself, of understanding that all that arises passes away. And I think as modern practitioners, and especially for my friends practicing in the West, the obsession with, mm, you know, the body image, the obsession with the youth, the obsession with staying 
uh, young and shunning the old, the obsession with not respecting ancient traditions to take a look and really step back and see what it is that we are passing on to future generations. What are we giving them? You know, what is their inheritance from us? And uh, what inheritance did we receive from our parents, from our ancestors? Who are our ancestors? You know, for me, growing up a lot in America, I can say that, wow, so much of our ancestral knowledge is lost because of the you know, the complications and confusions of identity, assimilation, diaspora, so much has, has uh, uh, made many, many first generation, second generation turn their face away from the roots of ancient knowledge. And the knowledge within the earth itself, the indigenous knowledge was killed and bludgeoned and forced out that those coming into the land couldn't even learn from the indigenous people. And I'm grateful now that more and more voices are being heard and more and more teachings are being spread. So very important what inheritance we give to our future generations as yoga practitioners. What type of yoga are we leaving behind, right? If we continue to swim in shallow waters, if we continue to remain in the new age, very vata, air element based without any roots, without any feet in the ground, right? Start to reassess, my friends, and that reassessment is the atha, the atha yoga anushasanam. It's the discipline that we take to ask the hard questions and to find the even more difficult answers that may not arise right away, might take some time. And to do this, we need a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. And this is where the physical practices help us with creating a strong body, pranic field, and the mental practices help us with concentrating the mind and our ethical foundation helps us with creating a balanced individual that operates in a societal sphere. So yoga is not just for those mountain cave dwellers, <laughs> but also for all beings across time, from the very beginning until who knows how far into the future. But all those times collide into Atta Yoga Anushasana. Sabko bohat bohat dhanyavad. Really a warm thank you to all of those who tuned in for today's episode of Atta Yoga Anushasana. If you like what you heard, maybe you'll consider subscribing to this podcast as well as donating so that future episodes can occur. You can donate via PayPal at www.paypal.me backslash kushyoga, K-H-U-S-H-Y-O-G-A or via Venmo at kushyoga. 
If you'd like to share with me your thoughts and suggestions about this podcast, if you have any questions for me or suggestions for future episodes of Atha Yoga Anushasanam, please feel free to email me at kushyoga at gmail.com. As always, please stay in touch. You can do so via Instagram at kushface. We have some free yoga and meditation on my YouTube channel at Kush Yoga, as well as my website www.kushyoga.com. On the website, don't forget to check out my new Chakra E course where you can go ahead and dive in together to the different subtle energy channels along the spine. Until next time, my friends, it's been a real pleasure. I'm your host, Kushi Malhotra, and let's see what happens next.